the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the Heart of the City. Well, this is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development with The Word Seattle, 8.20 a.m., and I want to welcome you today. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. That's Psalm 37, verse 3. It's my life verse. And I love to share that verse because this program is basically hearing the stories of people sharing how faithful the Lord has been in their life. It's really interesting to me, as we've done this program for almost a year now, how I've been able to see how the seasons of life for people and how the Lord works in those various seasons and the things that he does, even when they're not necessarily walking with him at the time. Today, I've got a guest with me. His name's Robert Anthony. And before I introduce Robert, I want to uh, let you know that Robert has a book that's called Jesus Did Not Start a Religion. And uh, I read his book this weekend, and there was an excerpt out of it that I'd like to share before we say hello to Robert. It was 2002. I was at a party with many celebrities and one drink away from being completely drunk. I will never forget that night. We went to a party in a limousine, and my very wealthy friend was trying to talk to these two Swedish models into leaving with us. He said, don't worry, I can buy your love. I could have thrown up right there. Even with all of the broken life I was living, I still had Jesus in my heart. I still had the Holy Spirit pulling at me. I was never happy in those bars. I was miserable for several years. Try to imagine knowing the presence of God and his goodness, having seen him move mightily in your life in so many ways, and yet falling into this pit. I was not happy. Even though I tried to fake it and be the life of the party, inside, I was miserable. Robert, I want to welcome you today to Heart of the City. Thanks, Chuck. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. That's kind of a tough introduction for a guest. (laughs) I know that's a little bit different, but you've lived an interesting life. And the thing that I was amazed by your book is that it's an honest life in so many ways. Now, at least, it's an honest life sharing your story and telling about what you were like and what you are now and the processes you've gone through. And so I share that not to glamorize the limousines and the celebrities, but to say this is where you are at. And we want to go back there because it's, a, it's an interesting time to hear and an interesting story to hear about where you were and where you are now. So let's go back. Amen. So High school days and, and young, young uh, your, your youth was spent uh, in Santa Clarita Valley, somewhere in Southern California? Yeah, we have a lot of that in common. Um, we were, my brother and I were both born in Detroit, and then um, quickly 
thereafter, my mom left uh, to get away from her family and my dad and started a new life in Vegas. And then that's where we all found the Lord. Uh, the book talks about how my aunt was an intravenous heroin user and um, God miraculously healed her. It was the end of the Jesus movement, basically. Um, uh, some people call it the hippie movement, but it was it was 1984-85, and um, it was in Las Vegas, and it was still happening uh, certain p- places that that revival where the Holy Spirit was showing up so strong was still happening in certain pockets, and mm-hmm. it was in Vegas. And um, so this f- friend of my aunt's kept telling her, you know, Lord, you're never going to get off heroin without Jesus. And so um, she managed to hold down this part-time job in Vegas. And, uh, you know, um, as the story goes, she tried to kill herself a couple times to get off of heroin. And uh, the second time she tried to kill herself, the doctor said, Lori, you have enough uh, heroin in your body to kill 10 people, and there's no medical explanation for why you're alive. And so she knew then that there was a miracle. She knew then that, that, you know, God must have kept her alive for some reason. And so she ended up going to church with her friends. So it ended up being a um, branch of a Calvary Chapel. And uh, back then the Spirit of God was moving very mightily with Calvary Chapel. And so she went to this uh, branch of Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, and the power of God hit her. And um, immediately she was healed of heroin, seven-year heroin addiction. It was so bad she was injecting heroin in her eyes and all kinds of stuff that, you know, Mm -hmm. these are very, very far-gone heroin uh, addictions. And so when she was healed, it was miraculously healed. And uh, that kind of huge conversion experience, it was uh, like a atomic bomb went off. And, you know, a lot of her friends came to salvation. And, um, well, basically I was her first convert, you know, as a seven-year-old little guy. And... um, it's wild because my mom was studying witchcraft at the time. She was uh, learning to read palms and tarot cards and crystal balls and stuff like that. And uh, they called themselves uh, psychics, but, you know, what what we know them as witches, you know. So my mom was studying to be a witch. And so when we all came to faith, she was like uh, – they they told her that Christ, that Christianity, by and large, was like a cult. And they, they filled her head full of these ideas about, you know, it being something nice but – not the truth and, you know, things like that. And so my mom was caught in this battle between the witches and then, and then Lori, um, obviously having this huge experience. And, and as the months were passing, it was clear that Lori was off heroin. And, um, so the short of the story is, is that my mom started praying and, and reading the Bible and, and just going back and forth between Lori and the, the witches. And she started catching the witches and lies and realizing that they're not telling the truth. And so, that's how she came to salvation. And, uh, you know, after that, I got a dad, you know, uh, Jesus gave, gave us a dad, a Jewish man named Roger, uh, married my mother. And so, um, it was awesome immediately, you know, so as a seven year, yeah. So as a seven year old, was there a a specific point where you said, I need Jesus in my life? Or was it just kind of, you started living in that experience that your aunt and mother did? Yeah. The way I remember it is the pastor, uh, I can't, the first time I went to church, the pastor gave a sermon somehow about, you know, God as a father. I don't remember the whole sermon. I just remember in that sermon, hearing God will be your father through Jesus. And I didn't have a dad. And so I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. I don't have a dad because God is my dad. And all I have to do is receive Jesus and God's going to be my dad. And to a seven-year-old, it made a lot of sense. You right, know? right. And that's the way it was uh, in my heart. And that's the way it's remained for the most part. You know, um, God's been my father since seven yeah. No. So uh, fast forward a few years, you uh, you left Las Vegas? 
We left Las Vegas. That church fell apart. Um, that, that church we were going to grew unbelievably. I'm not going to say the name. Uh, I don't want to badmouth anybody, but the church grew from two or 300 members to 10,000 members mm-hmm. in two or three years. I mean, it was people would show up to the church and literally get healed of, of alcoholism and, and cancer just sitting in the services. That's the power. That's how much the power of God was in that church. And, uh, several of the pastors ended up, um, stealing money from the church. And one of the pastors was cheating on his wife. And, um, one of them went away and did jail time and the whole church folded when all the truth of what was going on came out. And, you know, God uses broken people. We know that, but, uh, it was really hard on our family, uh, so when that happened, my dad says, you know, this Vegas is a horrible place. We're, we're going to go to L.A. So we went from Gomorrah to Sodom. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> or Sodom moved to, yeah. to, to Gomorrah. <laughs> and, uh, it wasn't like going to Nebraska, no, right? You no. were going to go to L.A. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, so that's what got us to L.A. And, uh, you know, the story continues. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, uh, and so you end up going to high school in the Santa Clarita Valley. Yep, and uh, we talked about that a little bit this morning. I was saying how schooling years were just very hard. I remember getting kicked out of class once because I wouldn't believe in evolution, and uh, my teacher was just very upset with me. And I I remember this to this day that I told him I said, well maybe maybe you evolved from an ape, but I'm quite sure I was made in the presence of the image of God, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> so he was just very bothered by that. And uh, I don't know. I, I didn't want to be bad, but you know, I just it just really bothered me that that he wouldn't he wouldn't even allow us to believe in anything else other than evolution, and that's what bothered me so bad. It was yeah. uh, unjust, you know. So you you would say if you could summarize your spiritual walk, you were walking with Jesus uh, uh, during those teenage years, during those high school years. Yeah, I mean, I was very sinful, you know. Uh, I don't like to admit to it, but that's the reality of it. I was very broken. Um, I just, I had a lot of hurts, you know, Uh looking back, my heart was very broken. Uh, A lot of things, I had a lot of father issues. My stepfather loved Jesus and he loved us, but he had a lot of father issues too. His dad was a World War II vet. So my dad, my stepdad, Roger, his dad fought in World War II as a Jew, right? Uh So his cousins were in Auschwitz and, and concentration camps. And he knew that they were in those concentration camps when he went over there to fight in World War II. And when he came back, he he was uh, really mad at God. Like, how could you allow these things to happen to your own people? And so he became a really angry drunk. And so my dad was, by, well, by the time my dad was born, uh, my dad was born much later in his life. He has older brothers. And by the time my dad was born, a lot of the alcoholism was already done. But a lot of the damage had already been done to the family. And right. so my dad... My dad had father issues too, you know, and so sins of the fathers, you know how it goes. And uh, so it was just, I was really hurt, at, especially once it got to teenage years. Um, none of it showed up in elementary school, but once I got to those teenage years, my heart issues started coming to the surface and it, it didn't seem like anyone had an answer for me. And I'd go talk to the youth pastor, I'd go to counseling sessions, I'd go talk to my parents, and everyone was trying to figure out what was wrong with Robert, but, you know, I wanted to know too, you know, um, but my love for God just kept soaring, actually, um, which actually made the schooling year so much harder because I'm in this, I hate to say it, but really godless environment. In fact, I didn't write it in the book, but I, I was involved with the, with the core group of people who started the first Bible study at our, at our high school. And, uh, you know, once the Bible study got going, it just became so religious and they, they wanted nothing to do with the non-Christian people. 
And I'm like, wait a minute, these are the people we need to have something to do with. And so I wanted nothing to do with it almost from the start. And I was one of the founders. Mm -hmm. It was kind of my idea, in fact. But other than that Bible study, the the whole high school was basically godless. And if you said Jesus' name, it was almost a faux pas. It was almost just like, you know, the record would scratch and uh, it would be like, did he really just say that? And uh, it was unbelievably hard because I had this huge love for God. You know, I did. I did from a very young age. And then all of a sudden I didn't know what to do with it. And I felt very alone. It was hard years, yeah. especially high school. So out of that then, uh, the economy was beginning to boom. Mm-hmm. You were you were finishing your high school years. Mm-hmm. And uh, what did you do next? I understand business became kind of a, yeah. a great thing for you. Yeah, well, I went to Bible college up here and uh, I really wanted to serve the Lord. But one day on a plane, I talk about this in the book, I met this woman who basically talked me into going into uh, mortgages. And as a 19-year-old guy, I didn't even know what the word mortgages was. I was—I literally asked her, what's a mortgage, you know? And so she explained it to me. And uh, so my parents had become real estate agents. And so I, I told them about this woman I met on the plane and how she she was going to give me a job with Washington Mutual. And uh, my parents said that they know a, a Jewish banker in town who um, they had mentioned him to, my name to him several times. And so he hired me on the spot. I became his uh, right-hand guy, and uh, the rest is history. You know, interest rates dropped below 7% for the first time in 40 years, six months after I got into the business. And uh, it was a wild ride. I mean, it was like money grew on trees. You know, everyone had to refi. By 1999 or so, everyone had to refi because they were saving hundreds of dollars on their payment. And, uh, you know, I was just so young. There there was just so much I didn't understand. But I, 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 I learned very, very quickly. And by 20 or by 20 years old, I, I had a partner, and then by 21 years old, I started my own uh, company, and uh, mortgage company, and it was a really unbelievable journey. Uh, it was just everything I kept doing, God just kept blessing it, and uh, it was it was wild. But also during those years of financial blessing, um, my family fell apart. Mom and dad divorced after 14, 14 or 15 years of marriage, and uh, so it was really hard on the heart because on the one way I should be happy because things are going so good with my career. But on the other side, I'm watching the church world just fall apart. I, I told you briefly this morning about my friend that started that church in Arizona. And, and that was, there was just so much grieving about helping him start that church and the things he wanted to do. And, um, just a lot of our conversations. And then the conversations I'd have with the pastors in LA, I was attending two different churches and, um, one in particular, again, I won't say the name to badmouth anybody, but, a lot of those conversations were just grieving. And then the, then when my mom and dad divorced, the, the church seemed to side with my mom and they demonized my dad. And it was like, what did he do? You know, like, why are you guys, why do you hate him? You know, I, I understand that it's a divorce and it's a messy situation, but what what did he do that requires you to hate him? And in fact, even if he did do something wrong, what biblical reason do you have to hate him? And so I just went through... I just I just went through an unbelievable amount of grief once I got of age and I could start to see the the I won't even call it the church world I'll call it the religious world yeah. you know once I started to see the religious world and the and the brokenness of religion when people turn from the simplicity in Christ and walking uh, by faith in his spirit and becoming religious and, and and I started seeing all that in Bible college you know and so those were very very, very hard years. It's a very difficult way to become a man, you know, 18 to 25, those mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. 
So would you say that prosperity was a blessing or a hindrance to your <laughs> spiritual walk? That's, you know, uh, that's a very, very good question. I'd say that it was, um, it was a hindrance in more ways than a blessing, to be honest with you. Um, the blessing, I was able to give money and I was able to bless people and that was all good. And I did those things. And I, and I could tell you, I don't want to tell you everything because some of it's kind of personal it's sure. between me and the Lord. But but I did. I did do a lot of those things with my money. And um, and that was good. But I kept noticing that the money would come in the way of the message often. That I'd want to preach Jesus, but people would want to be around, be around me because of my success. And uh, I remember starting a Bible study at a coffee shop in Valencia and— uh, you might know Pete's Coffee there in Valencia, and mm-hmm. it was like my hangout. And uh, I started a Bible study there, and yeah, a lot of people were coming. But I started realizing that a lot of the people were coming, especially these young guys, because they knew let's hang around with Robert, and maybe he'll hire us, or maybe he'll, you know, start a business with us, or, or you know, he's our ticket to success kind of thing. And um, <clears throat> that was kind of that was kind of apparent at at those meetings, even though God would still do miracles. Uh, many miracles. He would draw people to those meetings, and I was able to minister. And everyone at the table, there'd be anywhere from uh, seven or eight to to fifteen of us. It was never a very big group, but in that in those small meetings, God was moving in such a way, and it was obvious that He was with us. But um, still, they wanted to ride my hundred thousand dollar BMW. You know, that's I had this M3, and I grew to hate that car. I'll tell you, I I, I hated that car. And uh, these why? Y- why? Because it was it became it was like idolatry to so many people. To me, it was it was fun, but I kind of I kind of got over it. You know, I've had fast cars and nice cars, but um, you know, I kept well for one. I, I'm a businessman. I kept thinking of all the things I could do with that money. You know, for one, that right. I that I could multiply that money a lot better, and so that was how I was thinking back then. And then and then for two. It became it was like idolatry to so many of these guys, and they, they they just think I was so cool and and girls too, quite frankly. Sure. I mean, I was very popular with girls those years, and I don't, you know, I'm not I'm not proud of of it, but you know, those years I you know I dated a lot of girls, and you know I I didn't I was raised in in the church world. I was raised with a different set of morals, and uh, the life I lived out those years as the you know you know, the, what do you call it? Playboy kind mm-hmm. of life. I was the young, I had a full head of hair then, you know, I was the young, good looking, uh, successful, well, successful, driving a brand new BMW kind of guy, you know? And, right. And at the same time I was heartbroken and I wouldn't set foot in the churches. So that's what life looks like. If you're heartbroken, you won't set foot in the churches. I wasn't praying very much. That's, that's what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, the Lord rescued me out of that. That's what you read about. That's what I that that's what I wanted to yeah. to talk about, but that's not the end point. No. So, it's interesting how the Lord uses situations though that that you know, you weren't reading your Bible, you know, at that time. You weren't you weren't in that situation reading your Bible. It's a statement that a guy made to a couple of models that that you said it almost made you throw up that helped you recognize this kind of the situation you were in the mindset the world that you yeah. were in yeah. and recognized you know god was speaking to you even through that ungodly person yeah. to to draw you into another place yeah and that, and that's what's so unique about god is he definitely speaks to us through his word no doubt about it but it's always interesting to me when i hear these stories how god speaks to people in so many unique 
unique ways that draws people back to him. Yeah. And, that, and, and for me, that is the faithfulness of God, Amen. how he does that. So what happened to you after, after that experience I read in, in the book, as, as you were becoming disillusioned with the whole? Well, you make a good point. Uh, just I'll answer that. But before I answer that, you make a good point because a lot of times I think God speaks to us, but a lot of us were not so clued in to what his voice sounds like. Uh-huh. And so it's like we think, well, m- maybe, that was, maybe that dream was because I had too much pizza. You know, so we 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 throw off that dream as being could be from God, but we we toss that away, or we we hear of, we hear something in our head and we think it's just us. But a lot of times, that's exactly how God speaks. He speaks to our heart. He speaks to our mind. He speaks through dreams. He has His own way of communicating. And um, you know, just I just want to con- encourage anyone listening that uh, you know have faith. You know, He's He's better than we could imagine. And if out of this testimony, that's that's one thing I hope you get out of this testimony. Whoever's listening to this is, you know, he's very good. He's much better than we can imagine. He's much better than we've been taught. You know, um, he, he, you know, if you look, you could look at the Bible with different lenses. You could look at the Bible as God is a judge, and then you read the Bible, and every page it's he seems to be a judge. You know, and and, and that's your lens. But if you if you have the lens of God loves me, and you read the Bible, all of a sudden. It starts to show you that no God God does love me and there's there's a thousand more scriptures proving God's love than than judgment and uh, I don't want to get too much into doctrine right now because we're here to share testimony but you know when 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 I put the glasses back on as a young man and, and it happened at that bar when I put the glasses back on of God loves me and He's not here to judge me everything changed I'm sitting at that bar and I remember Lenny Kravitz and Spike Lee were right over there and I just talked to them for a few minutes and uh there was a, it was a very who's who party and I go off by myself uh just because I was so miserable and I had a vodka tonic in my hands and I sit down and I'm looking over the LA basin and uh we're we're up kind of in Hollywood Hills and I look over the LA basin and I'll never forget it and I just started to cry and I just wept before the Lord I said Lord I'm so miserable you got to save me out of this life and I just I couldn't stop weeping and I'm at the party that everyone wants to be at and I came in a limo for crying out loud and I have the life, like, I mean, in the prosperity gospel, I had the life so many people wanted. You know, if you look at prosperity messages, I had that life. And, you know, I just started weeping. I said, Lord, I'm miserable. And I, I don't know where to go. I don't know any churches that are safe right now. I just, I, I don't know what to do. You know, what do I do? And all he said to me was, he didn't judge me. He didn't condemn me. All he said to me was, I'm there with you. And he just said it just like that. I'm, I'm there with you. And I just... I just started weeping even harder. And I said, it was almost like audible. That's how loud he was speaking. And I said, what do you mean you're here with me? Don't you see? I'm literally still considering going, talking to those Swedish models and taking them to San Diego. Like, how could you be here with me? You know my heart. And he, and he says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And I just wept. And I couldn't, even, I couldn't even leave that little table off by myself. And I just wept and I wept. And I said, okay, well, what do I do now? And he says, don't worry, I'll, I'll take care of everything. And he didn't... And I'm trying to get him to say, you know, what do I do, Lord? You know, like, I, you know, in my natural mind, I'm thinking, read the Bible, pray, go to church. I was, I'm certain he was going to say something like that. I'm, you know, what do I do, Lord? And he didn't say anything like that. What he said was, I'm going to take care of everything. And sure enough, he did. All of a sudden, uh, new mentors showed up out of nowhere. I started hanging out with this 81-year-old um, man with dementia who was a World War II vet. And uh, it just, the story goes on. It's, uh, you know, Read the book. It's all yeah. in there. Well, we're going to, uh, 
I'm going to ask permission. We're, we're going to have to do a part two of this for next week, okay? Because we got to share the rest of this story because there's a lot more to it, Robert, as as uh, you're sharing. <clears throat> because uh, and I do want to talk a little bit more in next week's program about how to hear the voice of God because throughout your book, you t- you you that's an example <laughs> yeah. uh, of uh, hearing God's voice and being obedient to it. And so we've got about uh, 30 seconds left. So just a word of encouragement uh, to our listeners uh, before we wrap up. What would you say? Well, God loves us. God is love. That's what the Bible says. And um, open up, open your hearts up to God being loving and just give him a chance, you know, and he'll prove himself to us over and over again. He won't let us down. Amen. Well, we've been listening to the uh, Robert Anthony. He's uh, sharing his story and and uh, he'll share the second half next week. If you want to know more, uh, learn, learn about the book or get a hold of Robert, it's JesusNotReligion.org is the name of the website, and you can contact him through that. You can listen to this program as a podcast, a Heart of the City podcast. Just go to TheWordSeattle.com. Robert, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's been, it's been fun. You've been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on 820 AM The Word, call Chuck Olmstead at 206-269-6216 or go to 820amtheword.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.